Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So I was in the shower, I was cleaning my ass and making all shirts all sparkly, spanky clean. I'm not the funny one, I'm the pretty one. Cock shots. <laughs> I just checked myself out. The glory hole is like a, a like dick theater. I've imagined your pants. Which means your pants had better come off. Mama needs playtime. We're not sluts. We just love love. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another By the By. Hello. How y'all doing out there in podcast land? Good. All, all of our microphone people? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, um, I'm Bradford. I'm Angela. And you're back here with, with us. Yeah. Upcoming events. We have on June 30th, the next Pendulum Party. It is Pride themed. So that uh, kind of wear your pride, bright colors, whatever, whatever you feel like it's going to be. Whatever you're proud of. Yeah. Show it off. It's going to be a, a bash where you can be unabashed. Ha, ha. Huzzah. Then we have way in November. Uh-huh. Well, actually, no, uh-huh. we have in July. You Mid-July. Keep, you keep skipping I it. I keep skipping it. I don't know why. I'm so looking forward to this. Yes. July 15th, we are going to be at Between Friends Wine Bar. In Melbourne. In Melbourne. So we're going to be doing a live podcast from there. So come, bring your stories, sit down and chat with us for a bit. And uh, yeah, we'll be uh, talking about some of our fun experiences. Yeah. What else? And then we're going to be having some fun experiences. That's right. Because, I mean, we are staying. (laughs) We'll pack up our stuff and stay for the evening. Yeah. Very much looking forward to that. And also, you know, Melbourne. It's fun. I love Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Then in November 8th through the 13th, we have Escape to the Tropics. Very much looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. It is our resort takeover that we do with our dear friends over at Exclusively RHP. We do have still a couple more rooms remaining, but uh, there's been some interest and, you know. We have our themes set. We do have our themes set. So that's exciting. So we can start working on costumes, which I have not even begun to think about yet. I've started thinking about, uh-huh. started collecting things, <laughs> so we'll see. In an upcoming podcast, we'll get Ray and Jackie back on. Yeah. And we'll talk about uh, what we're doing, what it's going to be like, and what to expect. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. So, mm. what are we talking about tonight? We're just going to jump right into it, eh? I yeah. mean, what else is there? All right. So, <laughs> tonight we are talking about queer coding. Ooh. So, queer coding, for those who don't know is subtly displaying a character as queer. So you'll see this a lot in media, TV, movies, and it's often not certain what the sexual identity is of the character, whether they're queer or not. But a character might be shown, or coded, hence queer coding, as queer through the use of traits and stereotypes like clothing, behaviors, that type of thing. So maybe exaggerated masculinity, femininity, vanity, hypersexuality, it's it really is like all those things that you think of as stereotypical that's what you'll see and so it's a way that 
characters can be portrayed as queer without actually saying that they're queer. And in some cases they may be intended to be, and in some cases may not be. Yeah. And it's in many cases, almost a caricature of what Mm -hmm. the, the norms, the heteros out there would have expected queer people to have portrayed. Um, So it is kind of like queer actions, but to the nth degree. And we've talked about this some when, if you go back and listen to our podcasts on films such as like the Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, I know a couple of years ago, maybe even last year, we did a a whole episode on horror movies. Mm. There's a lot of queer coding in in both of those films. So it's just, that's yeah kind of a gist. Yeah. And it's thought that queer coding comes from the strict regulations of how queer characters were able to be portrayed in early filmmaking. So in 1930, and we've talked about this before in the past as well, in 1930, the Hayes Code came into effect, which was the predecessor to the MPAA now. And so the Hayes Code was a standard for what was allowed to be shown in movies. And so like films were not allowed to portray perverse subjects such as homosexuality and a whole list of other things. Look it up if you're not familiar with it. Sexual deviancy, I think, was the word that they used. Yeah, go down the YouTube rabbit hole on the Hays Code. It's disturbing and depressing. But but because films couldn't show like perverse subjects like homosexuality, sexual deviancy, that type of thing, it led to this portrayal of non-explicitly queer characters. And so filmmakers and writers were find, trying to find ways to kind of subvert it and get the message in without actually having to say that this character is queer. So subtly portraying characters as queer in these ways didn't breach the code. And that's kind of turned into these, like Bradford was saying, these modern portrayals of queer characters, which are a bit over the top and to the nth degree. It's, it's really pretty interesting when you look at like where it comes from. And, and just as a, a side note, there is a documentary called The Celluloid Closet that was made in 95 or 96, I think 95. Yeah. And we actually just recently watched it. And this is one of the first instances in which the idea of queer coding was presented to the public. And it's actually really fascinating to watch and to look at how some of these writers and filmmakers tried to get around it and put the message in subtly as opposed to just overtly. Yeah, it's based off of a book, Vito Russo, from about 1981 or so, that was just an exploration of queer characters and queerness in films. Yeah. Yeah. And so Bradford has a quite an extensive list, I think, of examples of queer coding in media. So we'll, we'll let you take it from here and run us through. So one thing that you find when you're digging into queer coding in films is that many of them are villains. And at least many of them, uh, many of the people who are queer coded, mm. especially in the looking at it from the 80s, 90s, they're the bad guys, Which right? doesn't really do much to dispel the thoughts that homosexuality is bad. Yeah, it's interesting because like, I see it both ways. <laughs> um, I see it both ways in that at least this is representation showing that these people exist and that they're real. Yeah, they're all villains and that really sucks. But, you know, and I think that to get to where we are now, where we're seeing more positive portrayals of queerness in film and in, in other media that we had to do the villain thing first. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's because now the, you know, the non-queer people are seeing this and yeah. going, oh yeah, these people exist. These people are real. And then once you get used to them, or once they get used to them, mm-hmm. then it's easier to show them in a more positive light. That's fair. 
So who are, what are some examples of villains? All right. So let's start with, um, well, Disney, because Disney oh. has, <laughs> uh, Disney portrayed a large number of our classic, classic animated series films, you know, many of the villains have queer coding. So starting from the top, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. So mm-hmm. Ursula, when you watch her, she's actually was originally sort of based upon the drag queen Divine. So Ursula's mannerisms, speech patterns, exaggerated makeup, uh, all of these are associated with drag culture. And so she can totally see that. Yeah. And she's the bad guy. She's the sea witch. And she looks like a drag queen. Mm, Yeah, I can absolutely 100% see that. Then we have Scar from The Lion King. So again, he's very flamboyant in his mannerisms, his cultured accent that was often associated with gay stereotypes very well-spoken, you must be gay kind of thing. Okay. Because, you know, straight folk don't talk like that, you know, or they talk like this, I guess. (laughs) But he also has a very close platonic relationship with the hyenas. So they kind of show this queer family dynamic of all of them live together kind of thing. They all work together and, you know, they're all clearly, Mm -hmm. you know, he's not looking for, I guess he does try to seduce Nala, but... Yeah. It's not, he doesn't try very hard. He keeps the bird in the cage. Come on. (laughs) Next up would be Jafar from Aladdin. Okay. Again, similar to Scar. So he's kind of more effeminately depicted than any of the other characters in the, uh, in the film. Uh, His eyes alone are, I think he's, I got guy liner on. Right. Mm. And so, and he's more cultured than the other male characters. So he's sly, he's cunning, the way he speaks and the way he carries himself, all things that are seen as characteristics of queer culture. Yeah. Again, that, that, that from a straight, through a straight lens. Right. Yeah. Femininity of a male character. Yes, exactly. And then we've got Hades from Hercules. So Hades, again, depicted very flamboyantly, very sarcastic mannerisms, Similar to the stereotype of the dramatic gay man, or if you go back back in time, the poof, okay, the the yeah. prissy gay man mm-hmm. kind of thing. I need a moment to remember Hades because it's been a while since I've seen Hercules, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I got it. He's an outcast living in the underworld apart from all the other gods. Mm, Gee, I wonder fair. why. Yeah. Maybe if you were right. gay, you you wouldn't be down there in hell. Yeah, which can parallel the feelings of being ostracized for being queer. Yeah. So it's and it's interesting because one of the things I guess I got one more from Disney's lexicon, which is LeFou from from Beauty and the Beast. He's Gaston's sidekick, but he has such an intense admiration for Gaston. Mm that it could be interpreted as a crush. He's got a feminine mannerisms, very submissive to Gaston. Uh, he's clearly Gaston's bottom. Mm-hmm. And it, that further you know, contributes to the fact that he's queer. Yeah. And one of the things I look at this is this to me was, yeah, they're all villains, but this was a point where things were maybe transitioning, right? So like they're all very likable villains. Ursula's got one of the best songs uh, mm. in the show. Uh, Scar as well has a couple of great lines and good songs. Jafar is, he's got the best sidekick, (laughs) (laughs) but like, you know, but they're not like villains that you're like, Oh, I really don't like them. Yeah. They're villains that you want to sort of root for. You want to, you want 
them to succeed. You at least want to see what they're going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hades is hilarious in, in, in Hercules. And then LeFou is just this kind of a likable oaf. Yeah. Um, and, and I do see how that's, that is, all of these are sort of negatively stereotyping queerness. But at the same time, it's showing none of them are really harmful. They all are trying. I mean, in the, like Ursula's big thing is she got a voice and she just wanted to have, you know, she wanted to get revenge on her brother. Yeah. Family strife, right. normal stuff. Yeah. You know, Jafar wants to be the king of the world, but he's bumbling and can't get it done. Mm-hmm. So none of them are really like their plans are good plans, but none of them succeed at doing it. So I don't see them as being harmful. They're not big threats. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I think that it's, it makes the coding a little like it is someone that you could look at and go, oh yeah, I can see. Mm. Yeah, there's a little LeFou in me. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> no one fucks like Gaston. <laughs> um, so some other along that this you know similar line is the Jim Carrey's portrayal of the Riddler in Batman. Mm. Uh, Batman Forever, I guess. Again, very flamboyant with his mannerisms wild costumes really many of the the batman there was a lot of queer coding in batman period mm. the relationship that batman and robin have with which with one another it at times is portrayed as a father son sort of relationship but mm-hmm. with their age it yeah. seems a lot more like they're you know <laughs> a little more than bffs but you know the riddler a lot of what he, his mannerisms and whatnot were, again, were sort of thought of as what gay men would do. Yeah. Norman Bates from Psycho has often been read as a queer coded character due to his cross-dressing and his close, complicated relationship with his mother. And then he's depicted as, as having a split personality, one of them being his mother, which ties to the movie's queer subtext that he is both male and female yeah. at the same time. And it's it's this interesting sort of representation of gender. So, yeah, that's... So if, if I can interject here for a moment. Please. Talking about the cross-dressing in that film. So one of the things that the celluloid closet brought up was talking about how, you know, men in women's clothing yeah. in films was often seen as funny. And still is. And so people would laugh at it and it was lighthearted. And then you put a woman in men's clothing and it was much more serious. You know, it didn't have that lightheartedness that, that men in women's clothing has. And I think that sort of goes back to, and I'm saying this not as this is what I believe, but this is the way I think people perceive, is a woman dressing in men's clothing is an attack on power. You know, she wants power. Whereas a man dressing in a woman's clothing is taking a power and sort of ridiculing it and showing it as weak because we can laugh at that it's funny to see it's more frivolous yeah it's yeah it's it's playful Mm -hmm. but it shouldn't be right Mm -hmm. so you can't take either seriously laws no yeah but if you're a a a man dressing as a woman you're giving up your power yeah and then if you're a woman dressing as a man you're trying to take power so i think that's that there's a really minute difference there but I think it's really important and that's why we mm. laugh at one and don't at the other. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So some other examples that I found peppermint patty from the peanuts. Oh the peanuts yeah. Parody. 
She is often considered as a queer coded character because she's a tomboy who excels at sports, has short hair, Mm -hmm. and often wears what is typically considered masculine clothing. Mm -hmm. Has a close relationship with Marcy, which some interpret as having queer undertones. Mm -hmm. And I think that is interesting as well, that relationship, because what you do see in a lot of films is these close relationships between people of the same gender. And so... It could be interpreted as a close friendship or it could be interpreted as something more. And I think a lot of that depends upon the lens you're looking at it through and exactly what they're saying, their mannerisms, tones, that kind of thing. And I think kind of just, you know, how you interpret it might be different than how I interpret it. But it's very clear that the, the writers, the directors, that the actors, that they all help put a spin on it as well. Yeah. And it is something you're right is. We, we all are looking for something different, right? When we, mm-hmm. when we see films. And I think that it, it's something that has always surprised me about people in general, but like, like the uproar over uh, Ariel being black in the new Little Mermaid, or there's been other things like that, that people just go up in arms about. And it's like, of course, people want to see themselves. When you look at these films, you want to find a little bit of yourself in there because part of seeing a film and sort of letting the veil lift and and you go into this magical realm is putting yourself in that magical realm. And so if you see somebody who looks like yourself, it's easier to say, oh, cool, this is how I would behave. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to see you know, young black children or young queer children being able to see these characters and go, oh, yeah, this is how I would react. Yeah, I see me up there. And I still, it's one of the things that bothers me, I think, the most about the conservative communities is that, both religious and political, is that they only want people to see them through their own lens. They're trying to control the lens through which we see the world. And if you try to see it through maybe somebody else's lens, you're woke. Yeah. Like, like that's an insult. (laughs) Wow. You mean, if woke is the worst thing that they can be, that I could be called, like, that's... But that also, no, but that also means that in order to do that, you need either people who are very in touch with the community and part of the community, or those who identify as queer, as black, as whatever it is. That they need to be involved in the writing, the directing, yeah. like the entire creative process, basically, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, you're not going to get that message across. You're not going to get the tone. People aren't going to see themselves in the same way through it. Well, and it goes back to. I was watching a YouTube video recently and one of the comments was on Big Bang Theory and it was the problem with the Big Bang Theory. And I know that you love it. I know a lot of people love the show, but the problem with the Big Bang Theory is that's not how nerd fiefdoms actually speak. Oh, right. Nerds don't talk like that. That's how a bunch of writers (laughs) in a room think that nerds talk. And I think that's really important because it that sort of goes for queer people as well, yeah, right? Yeah. If you have a bunch of cis white guys in a room writing for a lesbian couple, mm-hmm. of course they don't know it. That There's no lived experience. And it doesn't, you know, I don't know if this is fortunate or unfortunate. It's not a one-to-one. Yeah. You don't just, if I've had a relationship, I can't just switch out the genders and then suddenly it makes sense. that Because that's not how it is. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. It's talking what you were saying before about two people of the same gender running around and, and doing things. Xena, mm. warrior princess. Yeah. So Xena and Gabrielle are often interpreted as having a romantic relationship due to their close bond and their emotional intimacy. And the, their creators and actors have even acknowledged the undertones that mm-hmm. were there. 
because of the when the show was aired, you know, it wasn't something that could be shown explicitly on screen. So it was all if you were looking for it, you found it. Yeah. You didn't. And things like um, I'm not going to dive into it right now, but if you're listening at home, Google it. It's great. The Subaru commercials, the ads for Subaru in the U.S. in the I think late nineties. I would have said late nineties. Yeah, that were clearly queer coded. Yeah, like read the license plates alone. They are, you know, and and mm. so that's why in the states even still, it's I think it's just now starting to change a bit. If you saw a Subaru, you're like, oh, I bet it's owned by a lesbian couple. Yep. And it was and because <laughs> like marketing works. They were being directly marketed to and Subaru succeeded in yep. doing that very well. I've got more, but first, mm-hmm. a quick word from me. <laughs> One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How you doing, Mike? Are you tired of taking sticks and trying to turn them into sex toys? Are you becoming a MacGavo? That's like MacGyver. But I'm like, I'm wow, I'm both Southern and Australian. That's kind of cool. Anyway, MacGyver, he is the Australian MacGyver that takes all kinds of random things and turns them into delightful sex toys. They're not delightful, and he doesn't succeed. What he should do is go to adamandeve.com. If you go to adamandeve.com and use checkout code by the by, that's B-Y-T-H-E-B-I, you will get one item at 50% off. You'll also get free shipping. MacGyver likes free shipping. Then you'll get six videos on demand and some extra things thrown into your box. Some little exciting surprises. Go to adamandeve.com. Use checkout code by the by. B-Y-T-H-E-B-I. It's McGavo approved. We all know one of our favorite games is Curious Humans Game. It's such a great game to sit down and play with your friends, your family, both naked and clothed. Like, I know, not maybe not naked with your family, but anyway, because they even have games like Aussie humans, where there are questions about, like, how do we feel about certain Australian things? Like the Cowboy Bill pops. Like, that's, I mean, it took me a while to figure out what that even was. But it's a fun game to play. Their base game is also, you know, pretty PG, and all the cards are color-coded. So you could take out the more risky cards, take out the red deck, and then you could play it with people, you know, your kids even. It's a great game. CuriousHumansGame.com. Use checkout code for 10% off. Checkout code, by the by. All right, all right. You've okay. got more. What do you have? Now, so those were kind of the negative ones. Let's look at maybe some of the more positive queer-coded characters. Okay. Positive depictions. They're a little harder to find. Firstly, one we're all going to be familiar with is 
Velma from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I like Velma. I mean, Velma has long been viewed as a queer-coded character due to her intellectualism. Mm-hmm. She's smart. She must be queer. I, it cracks me up. Like, Because <laughs> you're right. Only smart people are queer. Um, the, the only dumb people I ever met were heterosexuals. Is that true? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> still kind of funny. Yeah. So she also lacks an interest in traditionally feminine pursuits, mm-hmm. and she has a very close relationship with Daphne. The interpretation was con- confirmed in 2020, one of the show's producers, that she okay. is queer. I liked her. I do too. Going back to Beauty and the Beast, potentially the relationship between Lumiere and Cogsworth. Both of them bicker the entire film like an old married couple would anyway. Uh-huh. So are they just really close friends? It's a close relationship between two characters that has been read as as coded. I can see that. Neither one specifically identifies as queer, but it could be read into it. SpongeBob SquarePants. So he's not explicitly queer, but SpongeBob's creator has stated that the character is asexual which is a queer identity. Mm -hmm. SpongeBob's non-traditional masculine behavior and close relationships with other male characters have also been interpreted as possible queer coding. Okay. Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, she did go crazy, but she only went crazy after her, um, spoiler alert, after her girlfriend was killed. (laughs) So like... Also, also Dark Willow's pretty hot too. Dark Willow's fucking hot. (laughs) But yeah, uh, so, but very great queer character. Not the best with relationships, but, you know, still good queer character. Not everybody's good with relationships, queer or not, Bradford. No, I know. I'm just saying. Then if we look at video games, Ellie from The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. So Ellie's relationship with her friend Riley in the game and with Dina in the sequel show a strong, positive queer representation Mm -hmm. uh, from from the game. I can see that. So... We're going to bounce around now. So one of the things I wanted to look at, too, was queer coding in like classic books, which we've 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 hit some of it. But and some of this will be, well, realistically, mostly negative, but there's some positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde himself was a gay man, and many of his works are imbued with homoeroticism and gay subtext. Mm-hmm. So Dorian Gray's relationship with Basil Howard who is the fella who paints the the original picture and repeatedly proclaims his love for Dorian is often inter- in, in, in Inter- interpreted as queer. And so well, I recently saw a stage production of this and the way they did it, it was, it was very clear like that the reason, part of the reason why this painting had this magical spell over it was because uh, Basil put so much of his own love and lust for Dorian into this painting. So it sort of took on his life. Right. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. Dracula by Bram Stoker. Yeah. Uh, very clearly portrayed homoerotic elements between the characters of Jonathan Harker and Dracula at the very beginning. Then Dracula has, you know, his wives, the the women who then try to pounce on Harker and then Mina Harker and Lucy mm-hmm. in their relationship. Yep. Yep, definitely. Going back to, uh, for Hitchcock again, the book is Rebecca, and then Hitchcock adapted it for film. The character of, and this was part of what we watched today, The Celluloid Closet, then the Mrs. Danvers shows mm-hmm. this intense obsessiveness over Re- the lost Rebecca 
and it's going so far as to showing her underwear to the young lady. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is her underwear. Look at it. Really nice. Made by nuns. <laughs> Ben-Hur, Gore Vidal, one of the screenwriters, stated that he wrote the relationship between Judah Ben-Hur and Masala as a former romantic relationship, mm. although it was not explicitly stated in the film. But there's a few clips where if you watch when they first meet or re-meet, it's definitely, Heston had no idea what was going on, but I don't think Heston ever had any idea what was ever going on. But it's clearly, these guys were a couple and then, you know, now they're back. Mm. And then Spartacus, the relationship between the characters of Crassus and Antonius, Mm -hmm. also filled with uh, homoerotic subtext, the famous scene that was, I think it was actually cut, the snails and oysters scene where he's basically being bathed by this this man and his 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 body servant which apparently means I need a body servant because that means they bathe you but they're having a conversation about how do you feel about snails and how do you feel about oysters is it mm. unethical or immoral to eat either one and ultimately he stands up and he's like cuz I eat both <laughs> and it's like whoa and it's very clear what he's saying it's just he's trying to see if it's okay you know, even though he's you know the emperor or whatever, he's Pharaoh. I don't know. I can't remember Spartacus, but I do remember that scene. A ruler. Yeah. He's the ruler. A ruler of some he's sort. He's the king guy. <laughs> some other more, again, positive might be strong, but at least neutral. The color purple, Alice Walker, yeah. includes a beautifully nuanced portrayal of romantic and sexual relationship between two women, which are Seely and Shug. The film adaptation directed by Spielberg keeps the emotional intimacy between the women though it lessens the explicit nature of their sexual relationships. And I think one of them was actually played by Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. A a, a woman. And you Um, can definitely see the depth of the relationship there. Yeah. Yeah. Cabaret Mm -hmm. from 1972. Mm -hmm. The character of Brian Roberts, who was played by Michael York, is depicted as having relationships with both men and women, uh, which was a rare but great sort of representation of bisexuality in the early 70s. And I absolutely love that film because there's that scene where Brian and Liza Minnelli's character, I should know it, but I can't think of it, are discussing, you know, their love. And she's like, he was like, screw Max. And she's like, I have. And then he looks at her and there's this long pause. He goes, me too. And it's like <laughs> this look of shock, right? It, but it's such a, it's a, ah, I love that yeah. film. It's a great film. That's a great scene. So the Fried Green Tomatoes by... Fanny Flag, I guess the full title is Fried Green Tomatoes and the Whistle Stop Cafe. Mm. The novel depicts a close relationship between uh, Iggy and Ruth uh, that is often interpreted as romantic. The 1991 film adaptation tones down the romance, of course, but maintains the strong bond between the women. Mm-hmm. Also thinking of movies like Thelma and Louise, which was Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, mm-hmm. where they kiss at the end. And it's like, they clearly love each other. Maybe it's not a sexual love, but it is clearly love. Yeah. And this journey and relationship or this journey that their relationship has gone on. It's yeah, it's really. It's interesting how much particularly as you're going through female characters and their relationships is how frequently it's portrayed to someone who's not looking for it as simply a strong friendship. Oh yeah. Absolutely. When in actuality, if you're looking for it, then you'll see that not, there's actually something more there. There's more intimacy there. Well, and there's, it's, it's funny because there's those like art historian kind of things. Mm. You see tags on, on these ancient paintings of, you know, 
Lilith and her housemate, and they're like they're both <laughs> laying naked. They're like, oh no, they weren't having sex. They were just really good friends. I'm like, yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? And it, and it goes back to looking at it through the lens that you want to look at it through. So you look at it and you go, well, yeah, of course they can't have sex. They're two women. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does sex even work for them? And so clear, they, then they must be really good friends yeah. who like to hang out naked in bed <laughs> and eat grapes. But so there's a, a, a lot of that and uh, you know, sort of touching on a bit of that as well is that so many times, and this is kind of a fun game to play, whenever you see a, a lesbian or bisexual woman on screen versus a gay or bisexual man on screen, it goes back to the what we talked about at the beginning, which was the laugh at one, mm-hmm. be frightened of the of the other. In that, most lesbian women are not attractive. Yeah, they are seen as stern or dark or just frumpy, or the men are seen as painted clowns mm-hmm. that are unreliable and effeminate. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's really interesting to see that and. But that goes into those stereotypes, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. and it is. You know, it, and the question is, because you think like Harvey Firestein, mm-hmm. um, who is this, like he is a, like, I think a self-described big ass poof. Like he is effeminate and, and silly. But so like, is it a, you know, what came first, chicken or the egg kind mm-hmm. of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see that representation and go, oh, that's who I am? Whereas some people see that and go, that is a negative representation of, of our community. And I think it's kind of interesting to look at it both ways because yeah. both ways are, tr- are, can be correct, I think. Well, it just depends on the person, right? And how they behave and how they identify and how they feel. But it also could be a bit of you grow up seeing these characters. And if you feel like you identify in a similar way to what they're showing, then you take on those traits and you behave like them, right? It's, it's, you imitate them as yeah. a child or yeah, as enough. a young adult. Yeah, fair enough. So it's a bit of that circular thing, which not always, but definitely for some. So lastly, I just want to kind of dive into a couple of films. One is Rope, Alfred Hitchcock, which was a 1948 film. It's based off the play by Patrick Hamilton, which was inspired by the real life murders committed by Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb, Leopold and Loeb, which many people are familiar with. Uh, They were two wealthy students at the University of Chicago who, in the 1920s, kidnapped and murdered 14-year-old Bobby Franks. But it was the one, the crime of the century. Mm. So, But the the two real people were believed to be in in a homosexual relationship, Leopold and Loeb. The rope characters of Brandon Shaw and Philip Morgan so the whole gist of it is, if you've never seen the film, it's brilliant. So it's two young men, right Right when the film starts, they murder a guy, and then they put his body basically in a trunk under a dining table, and then have this big party. So it's like, they immediately kill this guy. And it's they're not doing it for any reason other than that they were like, I wonder if I can get this done. I wonder if I can get away with mm-hmm. this kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. this very brash thing. But the, the characters are... You can't watch that film and go, oh, they're straight. Like they are, it's, they're so queerly written. Throughout the film, they exhibit this close, intimate relationship. And they even say things like, you know, how did you feel during it? How did you feel after? And it's like, it's not until his body was 
limp that I felt something you know, like exhilaration every, or something yeah, it's like, like that. Yeah. it's so funny and like you you watch it in the way they're delivering this line mm-hmm. and this got through the Hayes code and it's like it's clear that the people who were running the Hayes code had no idea what they were looking at they didn't mm-hmm. know they looked at it and went oh these are two rich kids unless it's obvious kind yeah. of because I mean I, I watched that scene and I'm like they're they're talking about sex they're yeah. not talking about killing this person yeah. no it's clearly a, a, a analogy for sex yeah and then lastly is an odd one. It's Midnight Cowboy, which you might know as the first X-rated film to ever win Best Picture. It is known as a very, very heterosexual film, right? Mm. It's a buddy drama, but it's basically John Voight as Joe Buck, a naive hustler from Texas, hoping to make it big in New York City, and Dustin Hoffman as Ratso Rizzo, uh, a gruff but pretty good guy con man so it's a buddy movie right Mm. over the film their bond has suggested you know their how close they are emotionally has led some people to think that it's queer coding right Mm. so Mm. they don't ever state that there is a romantic or sexual relationship between john and ratso uh, but the emotional connection is undeniable which is why i think it's interesting and kind of sad that queer coding is oh these two guys are having an emotional relationship they're clearly gay Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of is part of the problem as well in that that's great for the queer community, but I think it's terrible for the for the non-queer community. That you can't be emotional, have emotions and be straight. Yeah. yeah. And like that's part of our problem as a whole is that we should be able to see two men together and go, oh, yeah, of course they can love each other and yeah. it not have to do with their genitalia. Or show affection. And, yeah. 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 And so, yeah, it's just it's an interesting thing to take that interpretive layer and mm-hmm. add and add uh, the homoerotic uh, undertones, overtones, I don't know, to it only because of their emotional connection. Right. But if you're a queer kid uh, in the early 70s, I think that movie came out in the early 70s or late, late 60s, that would be great to see that and go, oh, cool, What how I feel is okay. But it would be nice if straight kids could have done that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that we would have been out of uh, you know we could have had less problems <laughs> than, than we already do. <laughs> Just for anyone out there who's curious to watch Celluloid Closet, we found it on YouTube. Yeah. It was just on YouTube. It's about an hour and 30, hour and 40 minutes long. Yeah, apparently at times past it's been on different streaming services and things, but at the moment, yeah, we found it on YouTube. It was actually a really good watch. So if you get a chance, look it up, have, yeah. have a watch. And it was free to watch. Yeah, yeah it's it called just, again it's the Celluloid Closet. Yeah. So check it out. Uh, but yeah, so that's um, queer coding, or at least our uh, our interpretation of a, queer coding. A skin deep kind of like. I mean, we didn't even level. scratch the surface. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Surface level. We are looking at a postage stamp from space, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, there's so much to it, and it's been such a part of of history and of media, and so so many examples of it. And it's just really interesting to see how that has influenced people in their lives, but then also how perceptions of the queer community by the heterosexual community has worked its way into the media and just all of it, the interconnectedness of it is just really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I enjoy it. It's, mm. it's interesting because you know, thinking like basic instinct, I know she's meant to be bisexual in that mm. and she is clearly bad, mm. but like there's, I think about the films that I grew up with and trying to attach myself to a, a character and yeah, I guess it is, it's interesting. And maybe that's why I went to horror is that I always mm-hmm. liked the bad guy, right? <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe I, don't, I didn't even realize what I was doing. 
and starting out watching Jafar and LeFou and, and those, and then going, well, the next logical step is Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger. Right. That's a big jump. I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> you skipped a few steps there, babe. <laughs> maybe one or two, but it is, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let us know what you think. Uh, we love to hear about it. Join us on our discord chat. You can support us at any level on patreon.com slash by the by podcast, and you will get an invite to our discord community. We love that group. In fact, that's where the McGavo came from, is mm-hmm. from our Discord community. Or you can email us, theatomsoflove at gmail.com. Message us on any of our socials. We are at By the By Podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Come join us for the pendulum party. Looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. Yeah, just a few weeks away. Just a few weeks Exciting. away. Check us out on our website. You can get uh, links to where you can find tickets for the pendulum party www.bythebuy.com.au mm-hmm. and go to the like the where are we at where are we events, at events 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 where are we at events <laughs> that's where we at yeah uh, so anything else you'd like to say no no uh, we will see you next week bye hi hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.